This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 10th day of June 2021. The heat wave finally over here in the Northeast. going to be a warm one, but at least the humidity is gone. Only going to be in the mid-80s today, so it'll be a good day to cut the grass and do whatever you got to do outside. It's just been brutal the last few days. Um... Well, this is the Suicide Watch edition of the Sports Country uh, wake-up call because uh, people in Boston not too happy after last night. Uh, The Bruins get bounced by the New York Islanders last night. The Bruins were just dreadful. Um, Giving away the puck in the defensive zone. Uh, Tuka Rask, obviously not right. They said that he wasn't, you know, 100%, but they said he was good enough to play. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but be that as it may, it wasn't Tuka Rask's fault last night. Defense was just terrible. It just was. Uh, and th- this this Islander team took it to the Bruins and just showed, um, I don't know, they just seemed to be beating the Bruins that yesterday. They beat them to every, every 50-50 puck, everyone. Uh, so, you know, Brad Marchand tried to keep him in it, but, uh, it was not to be. So Bruins season is over and, uh, for, I think it's the third straight year they've been bounced in the second round of the playoffs. And you have to wonder if, you know, that was the final game in a Bruins uniform for Tuka Rask does not have a contract for next year. Uh, neither does Yuroslav Halak, by the way. So right now. The only guy that the Bruins have in goal next year is the kid Jeremy Swayman, former University of Maine goaltender, and uh, who came up and did a great job when both Halak and Rask were hurt this year. You know, saved their bacon down the stretch, got them into a position where, you know, they had a d- decent playoff seating. But. You know, I don't know whether Rask comes back or not. I don't know whether Rask wants to come back. He hinted uh, yesterday that whatever's going on with his back may require surgery in the offseason. So you have to wonder whether we've seen the last of him or not. And if you have, I, you know, I think this guy has taken a lot of unnecessary abuse in Boston. You know, the one thing we know about Boston sports fans, you know what? It's the same, I guess, as probably Yankees, you know, or New York sports fans. They expect perfection, and if you if you don't uh, you know get a shutout in goal, if you don't pitch a shutout, if you don't go four for four at the plate, it's uh, fans. Boston fans are never happy. It's unbelievable. So uh, that may have been the last we see of Tuka Rask. I hope not. You know, I mean, he's still. I think what is he? Thirty five. You know, and if he's healthy, he's one of the best goaltenders in the NHL. But he obviously wasn't in this series. 
he wasn't in the first round series either against Washington, but he was able to get through it. But you know, like that, when you try to play through an injury, it's going to get progressively worse, and it obviously did for Rass. So he uh, he looked lost yesterday, but again, it wasn't on him. That was on the defense, uh, and in some cases, the offense just not they they just. I don't know. I mean, there just didn't seem to be the sense of urgency that you would have expected from that that Boston team. So, so I'm sure people in uh, uh, the Bean, Bean Town are not very happy this morning. And of course, of course, the Red Sox got drilled again last night. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, that was just I I was ready to throw stuff at my television. Uh, so, uh, but we'll get to that in a minute. Before uh, uh, we move on, how did, did you see the news um, out of Tampa about Tom Brady? And uh, by the way, we're going to have Dan Zampano, our buddy from uh, the Sunday Card, on tomorrow to talk NFL football with you know the mini camps opening up and uh, Aaron Rodgers still not uh, showing up for Green Bay and uh, you know what's going on. Uh, uh, in Houston, what's going on in Tennessee? So we got a lot to talk about with him tomorrow, and we're going to talk about this as well. Word has come down that Tom Brady played with a fairly significant knee injury. He said he knew last spring, last April, that whatever was going on with his knee was going to need surgery at the end of the year. And so he played, basically played hurt, which, by the way, you know, if that's really true, that makes what he did last year even more remarkable. But the question here is, is that Tom Brady did not show up on any injury reports last year as far as the knee and uh, as far as whether he would be questionable or not. Now, maybe they don't have to because there was never a doubt that he was going to play, and so Tampa wasn't obligated but there's going to be some questions raised where after Tom Brady has said this, the NFL is going to say, hey, wait a minute. If you knew this guy was hurt, why did we never know about it? And, you you know, and my my first reaction is, well, it's nobody's business except the Bucks, right? Except it gets a lot more complicated in the NFL. Why? Gambling. Because the amount of money wagered on NFL games is so huge. That's why, folks, there is such a strict injury report in the NFL. It's so the odds makers have a better idea of who may or may not play, and it affects the line on your games every week. Now you can we can agree or or disagree on whether that's a problem. And by the way, I think this is something that's going to bleed into other sports now that you know every every damn uh sports league is in bed with gambling now whether it's a casino, whether it is uh FanDuel or uh you know DraftKings or whatever they're all in bed now with gambling. So, might we not see more stringent uh, injury reporting in the NBA, in Major League Baseball, uh, in the NHL? Because when money is involved, folks, 
uh, you know, you, you, you begin to wonder if that's not going to trickle down. So we'll see. But we're going to talk to Dan about that tomorrow. But it's very, very interesting. And as I said, uh, you know, it makes Brady's accomplishment last year even more mind-boggling. You know, age aside, how about 43 years old and on a bad knee? Uh, so that, uh, but so anyway, the, the story basically was, Hey, uh, could the bucks be in trouble here? You know, and what could the NFL do to them? Well, I suppose the NFL could fine them heavily. They, I suppose they could take a draft pick away. I don't know that it will get to the draft pick stage, but they could find them and say, Hey, don't ever do that again. Or they could say, because and Tampa's defense on this in my mind is, well, there was never any doubt. He was going to play every Sunday or every Saturday night or every Monday night or Thursday or whatever the hell they're going to have a game because they got him almost every damn day now. You know, their, their, their defense would be, yeah, but we never worried about him playing. He was going to play, so we didn't feel we needed to put him on the injury report because there was no – he wasn't questionable. He was playing. Um, so it's going to be an interesting – Debate is going to be an interesting test of exactly what these injury reports mean. You know, if a guy has a hangnail and he's still going to play, do you have to report that? You know, because you can you can bet your life it's not just Tom Brady that's had some kind of injury for every team around the NFL had some kind of injury that they were dealing with, but they were still going to play and it wasn't reported. I'd, be, I'd bet the house on it. So... Anyway, we'll talk to Dan about that tomorrow. Besides, we haven't had him on in a month. I haven't had a good laugh, so we're looking forward to that tomorrow morning. Uh, here in the state of Connecticut, the State House of Representatives and the Senate yesterday uh, passed a law that will allow athletes in the state, college athletes in the state, to profit from their name uh, or their likeness. Uh, so basically they can uh, uh, get paid for endorsements. Th- they can become, you know, influencers on social media and uh, get paid for that. You know, the, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago where it was estimated that Paige Beckers, the outstanding freshman women's basketball player at UConn, could make as much as $300,000 a year from her Twitter feed. Think about that. You know, and by the way, you know, I, I talked to my wife Barbara about this yesterday, and you know, because she didn't quite understand what it was all about, and she said, "Well, yeah, but they're, you know, they're getting something for that. They're they're getting their education." And I said, "Yes," and and that's one of the reasons why I've always said student athletes shouldn't get paid. I don't care what, I, and as far as a salary, you will never get me to sw- to to flop on this because, yes, uh, universities make money, and and by the way, it's selected universities that make money there is a handful of universities that make a ton of money from their student athletes uh you know uconn's making money from their student athletes fairfield university sacred heart central connecticut they're not making money off those student athletes and if they and if it was set up so that they had to pay these kids as well as give them a free education that'd be a problem so you'll never get me to agree that they should get paid a salary however i never understood why they couldn't endorse the local bank or a car dealership or, uh, you know, get paid to have their picture taken with, you know, some company's product or whatever. 
Never understood that. Never understood why when there were NCAA video games for football and basketball and they want to use players' names that the kids weren't getting a cut of that money that the uh, video game companies were having to pay for the rights to do this stuff. Never understood it. Um, so, you know, but I have, yeah, I have no issue with them getting money that way. If Paige Beckers can make three hundred grand because of her social media presence, God bless her. God bless her. You know, I think every student athlete should be able to do that. You know, if, you know, now you know, the only the only caveat to that would be, for instance, if you know UConn is a Nike school, uh, she shouldn't be able to uh, hype Adidas, Adidas equipment on her, you know, social media page. I mean, I would say to me, as long as you're not breaking some kind of contract that the university has with a sporting goods company or whatever, you know, if you're a Coca-Cola campus, she shouldn't be able to stand on her social media page with a can of Pepsi and say, hey, you know, I drink Pepsi, screw you, whatever you can drink. No, you know, but other than that, I'm all for it. And it's complicated now because there's 18 other states that have done the same thing. All the laws are slightly different. The NCAA would like to get a blanket rule. They're supposedly working on it, but, of course, the NCAA generally uh, moves with the pace of a glacier. And uh, Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, was actually testified in front of Congress on Wednesday and is actually encouraging Congress to pass federal legislation because Emmert realizes the landmines that he's going to have to navigate to try to do a blanket one for the NCAA because of the individual state laws right now. But if there was a federal law, it would supersede all those state laws and, uh, you know, it might pave the way to make it a little bit easier for the NCAA. So we'll see. But again, it's a positive step forward. I think it, I think it should happen. Absolutely. Salary? Never. But this? Absolutely. Uh, other news here in the state of Connecticut, a couple more commits for the uh, Travelers Championship, which is coming up in Hartford in, uh, well, about 11 days, uh, 21st to the 27th at TPC River Highlands in Cromwell. Uh, yesterday, Tony Finau, who is the number 14 ranked player in the world, has uh, committed. He'll be making his fifth appearance. Uh, Ricky Fowler is going to be making his fourth appearance. It, look, this field's already loaded. I mean, it's great. I mean, Dustin Johnson's coming. Uh, who he's the defending champ. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau is going to be there. Love him or hate him, he's probably the most polarizing figure in golf right now. Uh, Brooks Kepka, Patrick Cantlay, who's won a couple of times. Patrick Reed, another uh, uh, polarizing figure. Uh, Justin Rose, Bubba Watson. I mean, we. It's it, you know, Phil Mickelson's supposed to be there. It's it's already a loaded field. So getting Finau and Fowler to come. Uh, just adds to that, and of course, there's going to be fans this year. I I may be one of them. I haven't decided. I think I'm going to go. I think I'm going to go. I may even get a media pass and go as uh, you know, Sports Country Radio. But I, I it's just um, it's it's so weird, you know. And I'm still on the fence about some of these big crowd things. You know, my, like I said, my wife and I are going to go to a concert in August, and I'm hoping by then I feel a little bit more comfortable. But, you know, even though I'm fully vaccinated and I don't have to wear a mask in stores here now, I still do. I still do. Um, I mean, there was one exception where I actually walked into to the liquor store the other day and to buy uh, some wine, and I had forgotten my mask. And, you know, and the guy was like, yeah, well, you don't need one. Uh, you know, and I was, but I still was, I felt weird about it. So I don't know if I want to go into the middle of a crowd with 10,000 people yet. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. I'm still, 
You know, I'm still erring on the side of caution despite the fact I'm vaccinated. Uh, and speaking of uh, uh, vaccinations, I mean, I, there was a story last night on NBC News, weird, that there are hundreds of thousands, actually, no, check that. There are millions of doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine that are going to expire in the next month because uh, after the uh, thing about the what was the blood clots they had, the confidence in the Johnson & Johnson dropped. A lot of people aren't using them. Uh, and the, the, the number of people that were having issues with the blood clots was statistically insignificant. Now, it's easy for me to say, but... You know, if if I was, you know, one of the one one hundredth of one percent that got a blood clot from it, I guess I'd feel differently. But still, it's statistically insignificant. So we have, I think, like 10 million doses that are going to expire in a month. We got to get those the hell out of here. We got to get them to, to places where they need it. You know, the, you know, they're talking about like in Central America where, you know, some countries haven't even started vaccinations yet. Get them down there. You know, the United States announced yesterday they're going to buy 500 million shares of the Pfizer or doses of the Pfizer vaccine to spread around the world, like to Africa, where, you know, it's almost nobody's gotten vaccinated, uh, you know, into other uh, poor countries. 500 million of the Pfizer will take the 10 million we got here in the United States of the Johnson and Johnson, do the same thing. It's it should be it's criminal if those go to waste. I mean, we, we got to, you know, uh, we got to we got to get them out. We got to do something with them. So anyway. All right, uh, so uh, one other thing before we get to the Red Sox game. The conversation about the sticky substances on baseballs continue. Well, Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets threw some gasoline on that fire yesterday, and I have to believe that Rob Manfred and the front office of Major League Baseball are not happy about this. And there will be a conversation had with Pete Alonzo. I don't think he'll get fined for this. But Pete Alonzo sounded like a conspiracy theorist yesterday. And now I'm not saying he's not right. I mean, I'm not on the inside of uh, Major League Baseball clubhouses. Maybe this is the case. But if it is, oh, it looks really bad for MLB. And uh, anyway, there's going to be a conversation. But Alonzo asserts, and by the way, this is interesting for a guy that's only been in the league for a few years, Alonzo asserts that Major League Baseball is manipulating the balls based on the upcoming free agent class. For instance, he says that in 2019, there was going to be a huge class of free agent pitchers. Well, all of a sudden, because of that, the balls during that year, it was the so-called juice ball where balls were flying out of ballparks like never before. And he said it was a direct result of the fact that there were going to be a bunch of pitchers, so they wanted to keep the pitchers' numbers down, so they juiced the ball so the pitchers' numbers wouldn't look that great. Then he says, now, coming up next year, we're going to have a ton of shortstops and position players that are going to be eligible to make a lot of money in the free agent class. So now he's asserting, you know, and we already knew that Major League Baseball said they were trying to deaden the ball to, uh, to stop it from flying as far to cut down on home runs, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of say, well, isn't that funny? All of a sudden, they're going to do that. When the hitters are due to make a lot of money, well, look at the hitter numbers that we have this year. With league-wide, the league is hitting something like 236. 
So guys like Carlos Correa, uh, et cetera, that are going to be, that have said they're going to test the free agent market. Well, now all of a sudden their numbers are not going to be as gaudy as they've been in years past because Major League Baseball has deadened the ball. So Alonzo asserts that they're doing this intentionally. Don't know that I buy that. I am not a conspiracy theorist guy. My, my my wife buys into conspiracy theories sometimes way more than I do, but I I want to believe that's not the case. If it is the case, and it can be proven that that's the case, Rob Manfred and everybody in the front office of Major League Baseball needs to go. Because that is dishonest. It cheapens the game of baseball and it insults the intelligence and the passion of every fan of every team in Major League Baseball. If if this is indeed the case that they did it on purpose, I hope to God they didn't. I really do. You know, but again, I'm not in a Major League Baseball clubhouse. I don't know, uh, but uh, Alonzo seems to think that's the case. <laughs> Uh, tomorrow morning we'll probably see that Pete Alonso has been fined twenty five thousand dollars. <laughs> I mean, I, uh, or or I guarantee you, there's going to be a conversation. And uh, as Dave Massey just pointed out, and it is true, MLB does own Rawlings now. They never used to, but now MLB has a controlling interest in Rawlings, who manufactures the baseballs. So if they did want to do this. Well, it certainly would make it a lot easier. Now, and here's one of the things I always say, you know, about conspiracy theories. If this really was the case, it would have to be a great cover-up because somebody somewhere, whether it's in the factory, in the front office, or somewhere in that supply chain, you would think somebody would blow the whistle on this. You know, just like when they talk about conspiracy theories about things in the government. Are you know, I was like, well, yeah, but do you mean to tell me that they were able to hush up tens of thousands of people that might have been involved in the process? Nobody ever, you know, blew the whistle on this? I always find it hard to believe that they could keep that many people quiet about it. But the fact that MLB does own Rawlings, I mean, I suppose, you know, I suppose if they wanted to pull it off, they could. Man, I hope not. I hope not, because it uh, because then it calls into question the validity of a lot of things. I mean, steroids, sticky stuff on baseballs, that's small potatoes if we find out the league itself is messing with baseball. Jesus, do you remember the furor we had in this country when you know Tom Brady and, and the New England Patriots were accused of taking a few pounds of air out of a football? Oh, my goodness. You know, you would have thought it was the greatest crime of the century. That would be small potatoes compared to this, where it would mean there was some kind of a conspiracy with the league to keep numbers artificially uh, up or down, depending on what the free agent class was. Man, it would be borderline criminal if we find out that's the case. You know, and look, as Alonzo points out, and he's right, in every other sport, you don't have to worry about the ball, right? The ball is the same in every NBA game. 
It's a basketball. It's the same size. It has the same amount of air in it. There's no difference in the basketball. You know, you could say, well, maybe one year there's more pebbles on it. But at the end of the day, the basketball is the same. The soccer ball is the same, right? You know, the tennis ball is the same. The football is the same, with the exception of, you know, what the Patriots were accused of doing. And by the way, I still not buying into that, but that's in a whole other story. Um, this would be a conspiracy for the ages, but we'll see, you know, uh, but I, I want to see how MLB reacts to this. Uh, now that the, now that he spewed it to the press, um, I can't wait to find out how they react. It is 30 minutes past. Yeah. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to, uh, we're going to talk to the other half of the Boston, uh, faithful, uh, that's probably ready to commit suicide today after another poor performance by the Red Sox against the Houston Astros. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 32 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. Just to uh, finish up the point about the, the whole baseball thing, I think one of the things that we need to keep in mind here, and, and one of the reasons I think why... Alonzo might have this feeling and other people do as well. Um, you know, if you remember there was, you know, we dealt with a whole juiced ball area for a period of like four or five years when the ball, when, when baseballs were flying out at a prodigious rate and it had nothing to do with steroids. It had to do with a change in the baseball yet major league baseball denied that there was anything that they had done anything to manipulate the ball yet when tests scientific tests were made on it it was clear that the ball was different so you know there is precedent at, for MLB you know doing things and saying well I don't know what you're talking about you know it is possible i absolutely think it's possible so I, again, I hope not, but it's possible. Uh, all right, the uh, Red Sox yesterday. Uh, Alex Spear this morning in the Boston Globe made a great point. We're 62 games into the season, right? Um, the Red Sox have played 16 different teams, and they have either dominated or been closely matched with 15 of them. <laughs> the lone exception is the Houston Astros. And when I tell you that the Houston Astros have dominated the Red Sox, it's not even by a little. I mean, they've now won five of the six games. They have outscored the Red Sox 34-13 to 13 in those six games. 34-13. to 13. This is a Red Sox team that is supposed to uh, have a you know fearsome lineup. Now, we know that there's issues with you know most of the offense all coming from the middle of the lineup. We've, we've talked about that the other day. But this Houston team right now, if, if, if you're going based just on playing the Red Sox, geez, they're the best team in the American League, and it's not close, right? Uh, now, if you go based overall, the Oakland Athletics would beg to differ since the Oakland Athletics still lead the American League West by a game over those same Houston Astros. 
So is it simply a case of the Astros having the Red Sox number for whatever reason? I guess. But, I mean, look, this Red Sox pitching staff that was, you know, this starting staff, which was one of the best in baseball, which is amazing to say when you look at the people that are in this. I mean, we do Nick Pavetta and Garrett Richards and Martin Perez. You know, you're telling me this is going to be one of the best staffs in baseball. I would have told you you're out of your mind. But the fact is that they were. Nathan Avaldi was pitching the best of his career. Well, yesterday, five and two-thirds, gave up 11 hits, five runs, walked three guys. And by the way, he had to gut that out. He had given up those five runs in the first, uh, what, three innings. He gave up four runs in the third. And then basically kind of had to take one for the team. They needed him. Look, he threw 107 pitches. They needed him to stay out there and give them something because, you know, uh, Martin Perez had threw up all over himself the night before, right? I mean, the Red Sox bullpen had been uh, badly taxed. You know, they still ended up having to use four relievers in that game yesterday. And, you know, and even up until the end, it was a close game. Now, they finally got to the bullpen, uh, they got a run off a of Whitlock on a ball that was, uh, and it shouldn't have been, by the way, uh, but be that as it may. And then they got two off of Phillips Valdez. Brandon Workman walked, worked another uh, scoreless inning, which was an encouraging sign for the Red Sox. But uh, it was a 5-3 game going in to the seventh inning. You know, Xander Bogarts had, had hit a home run and gotten them back to within two runs, and you think, well, maybe there's a chance. No. 17 hits by that Houston team yesterday. Jake Odorizzi, who had been pitching batting practice to the rest of the American League, uh, suddenly decided to have his best game of the season against Boston yesterday. And uh, then Javier came out of the bullpen and pitched four innings of one-hit baseball. Didn't walk a guy. I mean, it's just unbelievable. You know, and the night before with Framber Valdez, his second straight time against the Red Sox. And now today, the Red Sox have to hope Hope, and you, I can't believe I'm even saying hope. They got to hope that Erod, Eduardo Rodriguez, can figure it out. He's been awful his last two or three starts, you know. And and I would I would uh, submit that some of this is a carryover to the myocarditis and not pitching at all last year, and maybe he's not quite right. Um, but they got to hope he figures it out because guess what? He, he goes against Zach Greinke tonight, you know? So the Red Sox are hoping in both these series that they can salvage a game. And they're in the middle of a stretch where they're playing 17 games in a row. So it's not going to get any easier for this bullpen. They need Erod to go out there today and throw seven innings. Now I know nobody throws seven innings anymore. It was funny. I was having a conversation on Twitter last night. Uh, with Sam Dostler, you know, nobody's going to throw 200 innings anymore. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, maybe uh, DeGrom, if he can stay healthy. DeGrom's the only guy where you can, on a fairly regular basis, figure he could get you seven. Right now, if you throw five innings, you're getting a cookie. You know, hey, great job. You you threw five innings. Congratulations. Here's a cookie. You know, remember when a quality start used to be seven innings? Now a quality start, you go five, and good Lord, you're a Cy Young Award winner. Well, they need Erod to give them seven today. 
they need the, they need to relieve the pressure on this bullpen a little bit. But last night it was just gross. I mean, the Red Sox in the six games that they've played against Houston this year are hitting 179. 179, 65 strikeouts and 13 walks. I mean, it's just they only four hits yesterday. And only one in the final five innings. It's just disgusting. So, and look, I know this Houston team's a good team, and everybody hates Houston. I, I'm with you. You know, the whole cheating thing, I get it. Well, you know what? Houston is saying, eh, here's your cheating for you. We don't need to cheat to beat you. That's basically what they're saying. So this is kind of a, this is a redemption tour for the Houston Astros. I mean, and last year doesn't count because last year, you know, there were no fans. This year, they're hearing it everywhere, and they are giving it right back. And all they got to, all they're doing is, you know what? You go ahead and jeer us. We're just going to keep beating you. And man, they are beating the ever living snot out of the Boston Red Sox right now. Uh, the Yankees last night. It was an important game last night from this standpoint. Garrett Cole, uh, who basically uh, admitted, I mean, he did. He admitted it by not denying it uh, that he was using uh, a substance on the baseball that he shouldn't be using. And uh, then got drilled after MLB said that, uh, you know, they were going to start cracking down on it. And he said it was mechanics. Everybody else said, no, it's because you weren't using the junk. Well, he comes out yesterday and throws six innings, struck out nine, didn't walk anybody, gave up two runs in six innings, five hits. And the two runs he gave up were solo home runs. So he basically came out yesterday, threw 94 pitches, and looked like his normal dominant self, picked up his seventh win of the season, as uh, the Yankees beat the Minnesota Twins 9-6. I mean, look, the Twins uh, got to the Yankee bullpen a little bit, but by the time they did, the game was over. Randy Dobnak got the start for Minnesota, gave up eight runs and four two-thirds. Uh, bullpen did a good job trying to keep Minnesota in it, but uh, uh, Cole needed that game last night. No doubt about it. And you know what? Josh Donaldson, who had done some chirping about Garrett Cole, guess what? He went 0-3, struck out twice against Cole. First time up, Cole threw one by him at 100 miles an hour. So, uh, anyway, so Yankees with the win. Uh, pick up, actually, a game on the Tampa Bay Rays, who lost yesterday. So, even though the Red Sox stunk yesterday, they're still only a game and a half out. Yankees are five and a half back, um, and the uh, Blue Jays are six back. Uh, one other Yankee note. It's not really a Yankee note. It's a baseball note. They... Uh, Baseball Hall of Fame has decided to reschedule the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. It was going to be a virtual thing um, on July 25th. They've now decided to push it back to September 8th, and they're going to do it in front of a limited number of fans. They're going to hold it in the Clark Sports Center in Cooperstown. Normally it's outside, of course, with, you know, tens of thousands of people in attendance. They're not going to do that. They're going to hold it in the Coop, uh, the Clark Sports Center, but but there will be people allowed to be there. you know. And so Derek Jeter, when he goes in, will have a chance to speak in front of some Yankee fans. And uh, you know, look, that's a big deal. you know. Whether you're a Yankee fan or not, uh, for these guys who played for so long and got to the point where they got in the Hall of Fame, it's, it's, I think it's important that they be able to do their acceptance speech and do it in front of some partisan folks. 
Uh, and Derek Jeter, of course, with the Hall of Fame being in the s- state of New York anyway, I think it's even more important. So, uh, uh, so good for them. They're going to do that. And uh, uh, they are going to have some lawn seating and they'll set up a thing outside the center where people could uh, can watch it outside. But I think it's a great idea. Great idea. So that'll be September 8th. Uh, it will also be broadcast live on the Major League Baseball Network as well. Uh, I mentioned the Rays. They be they excuse me. They lost to the Nationals yesterday, nine seven in eleven innings. The Nats came up with uh, two runs in the eleventh inning. They actually actually the Nationals scored two in the tenth as well. But the Rays tied it up in the bottom of the inning. But they come up finally. Um, Starlin Castro with an RBI double in that eleventh uh, inning to give the Nationals the victory over Tampa Bay. And look, the Nationals needed that win too. Uh, they're still technically in the hunt in the NL East. They're trying to hang in there. Um, and, uh, but they have, uh, they had lost six in a row, so they needed that one. They had lost nine of 12 and the Rays, by the way, since May 13th, 20 and five. So not too many losses. There's still 15 games over 500, but again, the Red Sox very appreciative of the fact that they dropped one yesterday. Uh, I also mentioned the Rays, or excuse me, the Blue Jays. They came and beat the Chicago White Sox in Chicago yesterday, six to two. And, uh, Lance Lynn for the White Sox was dominant. He only gave up a run in four hits over seven innings, left with the lead. He had struck out nine, didn't walk anybody. He's got the second lowest ERA in baseball, 1.23. They should have won this game, right? Now, the kid Manoa, Alex Manoa, came in and made his third major league start. It was pretty good over five innings, just a one earned run. But then Aaron Bummer came in in relief for Chicago. They scored three runs off of him. Uh, Cody Hewer couldn't help either, and the Toronto Blue Jays ended up coming back to win this thing. Uh, Tyler Chatwood gets the win in relief, but Randall Grichik, uh, a bomb of a home run, hit one 451 feet uh, for Toronto in this game. So they win it 6-2, to two, and uh, the Jays back to three games over 500 and still uh, in the running in the American League East. It's 45 minutes past the hour. When we come back, uh, Matt Harvey made his return, or actually uh, made another start, I should say, against the New York Mets. This one didn't go any better than the one that happened in New York. We'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 48 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Thursday morning. Uh, the New York Mets went into Baltimore yesterday to face uh, former Met Matt Harvey. Uh, Matt Harvey gave up. Uh, well, the first time that he pitched against them up in New York, he allowed seven runs and eight hits in four and a third innings. Well, guess what? In this one, he gave up seven runs and eight hits. <laughs> Except it didn't take him four and a third innings. It only took him three. <laughs> he got drilled. He lost his sixth straight decision. He falls to three and seven. He was 3-1, and one, folks, and had an ERA like in the mid-fours. He's now 3-7 and seven with an ERA of 7.41. And even for a bad Baltimore team that's 17 games under five hundred, you wonder how much more of this they're going to want to see. You know, how long are the Orioles going to say, you know what, we would be maybe better suited bringing up a young kid and letting him uh, get some experience in the major leagues than throwing Matt Harvey out there. And I look, I don't root for anybody to lose their job. And Matt Harvey, for a short time, the kid from Groton, Connecticut, uh, was one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he was a great story, was in New York, 
But then he had that thoracic out, um, uh, syndrome, thoracic, I can't remember what the exact term of it is, but he ended up having to have shoulder surgery, and he has not been the same pitcher since. He lost command, he lost velocity, and he can't get anybody out. And I feel badly for him, you know. But it's, you know, it's like a story we hear so often in Major League Baseball where a guy will come up and he'll be great for a short time and it only takes one injury. You know, it shows you what a thin thread these guys uh, live on. But he got absolutely drilled. Uh, Taiwan Walker was dominant for the Mets yesterday. Seven innings. Seven innings. Oh, wow. Uh, five hits, just one run. He struck out nine. Uh, the Mets win this one 14-1. to one. Uh, Pete Alonso, who had the comments about Major League Baseball Prior to the game, uh, hit his 10th home run of the season. Uh, he was actually three for five with three runs batted in this one. Uh, Kevin Pillar hit two home runs in this game. A matter of fact, it was his first two home runs since he got hit in the face with a baseball earlier in the season, but he was three for four with four runs batted in. Uh, the guys were just sprinting to the back rat, the bat rack against the Baltimore Orioles yesterday. So now the Mets uh, with a three-and-a-half game lead. In the National League East, their lead got extended yesterday as uh, the Phillies beat the Braves 2-1 to one, thanks to a home run by young Luke Williams. His first major league home run came with two outs in the bottom of the ninth inning off of Will Smith, and uh, the Phillies come back to win that one. So now the Phillies are two games under 500. Atlanta back to one game under 500, and uh, they are both chasing the Mets. But again, the National League East uh, is a jumble. Nobody is playing well. I mean, seriously, the Mets have a three and a half game lead, but they're a 500 team. You know, in the last uh, few weeks, you know, Atlanta, Philadelphia. Washington, they're all playing 500 baseball. The only team that's, that may be out of it, or at least they're playing themselves out of it, are the Marlins. They're nine and a half back now, and uh, they've lost eight of their last ten. But uh, good for Williams uh, yesterday for the Phillies. His first major league home run, and it is a game winner, so good for him. Uh, yesterday, the Dodgers beat the Pirates 2-1. to one. Not a surprise there. I guess the only surprise in this game might be that it was only 2-1. Uh, to one. But uh, a a rough start for Tony Gonsolin for the Dodgers, and this is it was the Dodger bullpen that won this game. Uh, Gonsolin got the start, only lasted an inning and two third. Why? Because he walked five guys in an inning and two thirds. He got five outs and walked five guys, gave up a couple of hits. Uh, he only gave up one run, but he was in constant trouble. So they got him out of there early. And then a parade of five relievers gave up just one hit to the Pittsburgh Pirates for the next seven and a third innings. Uh, Victor Gonzalez got ended up getting the victory. Uh, Kenley Jansen pitched the final inning and a third, got four outs to pick up his 14th save of the season. Uh, so uh, Justin Turner was the only offense they needed. Two solo home runs. He hit one in the uh, first inning and one in the third inning, and the Dodgers uh, pick up the victory. And uh, they continue to have to chase the San Diego Padres and the San Francisco Giants. Well, they're now ahead of the Padres because the Padres lose yesterday to the Chicago Cubs 3-1. to one. The Pods are uh, in a little bit, I guess, of a tailspin. They've lost 7 out of 10. They are now just 10 games over five hundred. 
Uh, but a solid start yesterday for Jake Arrieta for the Chicago Cubs. Then the bullpen uh, pitches four perfect innings. No runs, no hits, struck out five. Didn't walk anybody. And uh, the Cubs come back to win it. You Darvish got the start. He pitched well, but uh, he only gave up two runs and three hits in seven innings. But the bats could do absolutely nothing against the combination of uh, Rex Brothers, Ryan Tapera, and Craig Kimbrell. Kimbrell picks up his 15th save of the season for the Chicago Cubs. So uh, the Cubs with the victory there, and they are now a game, or excuse me, a half a game ahead of the Milwaukee Brewers in the National League Central. Uh, the NL West leading San Francisco Giants with a loss yesterday. They lose in 11 innings to the Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers, who are uh, without Joey Gallo, by the way, in the lineup, uh, still win this one 4-3 to three in 11. And it was former Boston Red Sox uh, popular player Brock Holt got the win for Texas with an RBI single in the 11th inning uh, to drive in the winning run. Uh, Martin gets the win in relief, his first of the season. Jake McGee takes the loss uh, out of the bullpen for the San Francisco Giants. The Giants still with a two-game lead in the NL West, 15 games over 500. Uh, the Cleveland Indians took one on the chin yesterday as the St. Louis Cardinals uh, snapped a six-game losing streak. Uh, Adam Wainwright with a solid start for the uh the Cardinals yesterday, they beat the Cleveland Indians 8-2. to Wainwright, 39, by the way. He's the oldest active player uh, in the National League. It was, well, actually, it's not. that's not quite true. He's the oldest active pitcher in the National League. The oldest active player in the National League is Albert Pujols of the Los Angeles Dodgers. But uh, he's the oldest pitcher in the National League, and he goes seven innings yesterday, just three hits, Two runs, struck out six, didn't walk anybody, and uh, picked up his fourth win of the season. So uh, that was one that they needed. Uh, the two teams will have the day off today. Aaron Savali will pitch on uh, Friday. Of course, Aaron from East Windsor, Connecticut. Uh, they visit Seattle and the Cardinals. Uh, open a series at Wrigley Field against the Chicago Cubs. A big series for them. If they are going to hang in there in the uh, National League Central, they need to get it going uh, they've lost 8 of 10. They are now 3 back of the Cubs, and uh, if they get swept this weekend, uh, they could get buried. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Calls. They said Dan Zampano will join us tomorrow morning at 9.30. Hope you can join us for that. We leave you this morning with some music from Keith Urban, Somewhere in My Car. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country 94.5.